0: On this week's show, we're joined by the legend that is Sean Boylan. The show is a little bit different to normal, as in it's a lot longer than usual. However, we felt it was definitely worth it as there was so much learning from Sean. He goes through his time with Mead all 26 years and talks about the highs and lows and how we strive to learn and improve each year. You may not listen to it all in one go, but there's lots of learning throughout and I strongly encourage everyone to listen. I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope you do too. Sean, thanks a million for coming on today. We're sitting here in your clinic in Dunboyne, Heartland of Mead. You're a Mead legend, uh, 23 years in charge of the football team for for All Ireland. Um, so I suppose that's where I'd like to start. Um, very few people have been involved at that level for that long. And maybe you could talk us through your journey in terms of how you made a change as a coach over that time. Thanks very much,
1: Steve. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. Um, I, I won't say I came in by default with regard to the football team but my first love was hurling and um, I absolutely loved hurling was fortunate enough to be quite good at it and played for for, Meath from 1961 until the end of 1982 so it's a long time and um, loved the journey played minor junior senior the first year and then it was there all that length of time and um, it was my first introduction to really that camaraderie from lads from all the other Par- parishes and clubs within the county before that from the time you were 10 you were playing hurling and football with your club and um, when you look at the thousands of kids that are playing today it's very hard to realise that the, those juvenile competitions they only started in 1953 and in fact even in a row you know, like Dunboyne actually won the, the juvenile title that very first year so it's hard to believe then that you know there was no such thing as an under 10s or 11s or 12s or 13s it was juvenile which was under 14 and was minor which was under 18 and um there was an under 21 there was junior yes junior championship at at, at inter-county level and there was senior and i'm saying all of that because um everybody played hurling everybody played football and um it was look at you couldn't you couldn't get enough days of the week or enough nights of the week and i was very lucky that having played as long as i did and then been fortunate to play with my club as well in the in the football and not been too bad with it either. And um, when I was in agricultural college, been brought for um you know football trials for me minors and the man that brought was a man called Seamus Murphy from Kerry. And Seamus won five all irons with Kerry. You know, one was a cornerback, one was a half back, one was a half forward and so um, sorry, two was a cornerback and two mi- and another one midfield with Mick O'Connell. His brother Sean was on the team in the century. But Seamus was he taught his veterinary. And he brought a chap called Michael Flanagan from Mayo, whom I met at the plough last year. hadn't seen him for all those years. And uh, Willie McGrath from, uh, um, sorry, Pat McGrath from um, garrison And Pat, after he joined. He became a priest, and he went out in the missions. But his brother Willie was in my year as well. But we were the three that went for the mid trials. And I always remember afterwards coming home with them, and uh, he saying to us when we didn't get the nod look at last there's better times ahead and but even to be in the car with this absolute legend because at this stage um he's at the start of his career you know he he, he i think around the last time he played was the all Ireland final against Meade in 1970 which is the first 80 minute all Ireland final you see and they yeah. made the met me the all Ireland final but why do i say all of that to you because in 1961 having gotten picked on a mead minor hurling team uh, we went to um almost down one stage and um, there was a coaching courses were all starting now three months earlier i was picked on a mid on the mid minor team to play against kildare and it was absolutely useless they took me off at half time and absolutely correct to do so and um, but you know the way you're dying to get back on so every other match that was being played was just, there was no sign of a nod at all nothing none whatsoever and this day me Hurlers, minor hurlers and minor footballers were being used as part of the initial coaching courses in Gormanstown College with Joe Lennon, Desi Ferguson, um, Ned Power from Waterford, uh, Eamon Young from, from Cork, um, Frankie Byrne, who was a mead legend i be good to. Um, they were all, they were the ones involved. They were involved at the coaching, at the start of this new thing, coaching for, for, uh, for hurling and football right? And uh, so we were part and part of that, like the drills and everything else. And luckily enough for me, when, when the hurling match started, and I can't tell you who we are playing against, but um, I'm the only one that hasn't been given the nod. And Father Tully, who was the chairman of the Me County Board, was there. And he just walked by the selectors apparently and said, is there no one better than that fellow out there in the middle of the field? Sean, Sean, in you go, in you go. And I would then onto the field couldn't wait to get in I was going that fast I slipped and fell but as I fell the ball had been poked out and I doubled on the ball from the middle of the field I went straight over the bar lads why wasn't he on all along? <laughs> and that's how your fortune can change and that's the way life can be you understand now when you were waiting three months it seemed like an eternity to get in every day every hour lunchtime, everything else out having a go at it trying to get things right and so on and um but that introduction with those men at the time and the way they taught about coaching, Joe was a teacher, a young teacher in um, in the college there in Gormans, and Joe Lennon. And he wrote a book afterwards on Gaelic games and coaching and rules. He was fanatical about the rules, got me good to him. But um, it was like that different way of looking at things. And um, so that was the start of um, thinking about things in maybe a slightly different way. So what Don played for me, played for... I was actually actually on the Mead senior team for two years before I got into the Dunboying senior team. And uh, because the lads happened to see me play. And one day we were playing down below Navan, and Dunboying were playing a Fesh Cup match. And I'm playing for Mead. And I happened to be, go all right. And then I got into the Dunboying team. And that's the way life, because you know, there, was, there were no telephones. Really, very few people had a telephone. You know, you got the, you got the, the letter to say you've been selected on the Dunboying team or a Mead team or whatever. And you couldn't wait for Monday or Tuesday to come to say that you've been picked now I've rambled a lot there but it's just paint the picture of the way it was it's it so different than the ways people can communicate today and everything else so um we were very fortunate the people that would have brought us say with that me team I the first man that picked me up you know from to pay for me team was Brian Smith and Brian Godwin was, former chairman of our club, former chairman of Meade County Board, captain of the first meeting team winning in 1949, won a second in one, 1954, All-Ireland hurling one month the year before, 1948. Um, and um, at that stage, Meade senior hurlers were probably on a par, maybe not better than the Meade senior footballers. And um, in that league that year, um, they would have drawn with Tipperary, with Wexford, with Kenny. There were, that's how good they were. And people like Brian Smith and Mick O'Brien, who became legends in Meath football. And the, the sort of famous story told about Brian is that <clears throat> the day he lifted the Sam McGuire, he killed the sport he loved in Meath. He killed the hurling, which was an amazing thing for the man to say, but that's exactly what he did say. And Brian was a man of few words, but um, it was the way he had of looking at it. And, um, oh and you sort of learn from it. But then we were lucky a few years later, Desi Ferguson, Desi lived uh, in Meath. And um, when I was the student that year in Morristown, nineteen sixty sixty one, in November of 1960, I cycled into the chocolate on a Sunday morning. Snow, sleet, everything on a bike with the hurley in a bag. And uh, it's 13 miles from the college to here. And here I am, it's about seven miles away, and I'm bet. And I get off the bike and I put it up against O'Brien's. It's still in the middle of the road, the pub, right? I left the bike there. And this great Ford Prefect is coming along. And it pulls up, and the window goes down. Have you a match, son? And it was Desi Ferguson, the famous Stitchy Ferguson. And he gave me a lift to Dunboyne. And that started a lifelong friendship with Desi. Do you understand? And, of course, Terry and... Barry won All Ireland with us afterwards, and Connor's very much involved with Meath Hurling and Pierce, all the, the whole family. But that was the start, seeing the hurley stick and you getting the lift, right? And um, because afterwards, in 61, that famous Dublin team played there were five sets of brothers in the All-Ireland hurling final against Tipperary, and Jimmy Gray was in the goals, you know what I mean? And you had Liam and Desi, you had the two drum goos, you had the two Art and Des Foley. It was it was just it was, but you are Ackle and Bernie Bootman, and you're walking down by Barry's Hotel and they're the lads Bernie with the earring sorry Ackle with the earring and Bernie and the boys the Hurley they're walking with the crowds walking down to the place it's just it's hard to believe but that's how you know you had the tools with them for, for going to do the job and so on and they hadn't a dozen hurleys each. You know what I mean? They had two hurleys each. So that was that was unbelievable. Imagine having two hurleys. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. how it all changes and how it learn. So why would, I, I'm rambling around the place, but it's more to do with just paint the picture of where you come or where does the passion arise. And um, um
0: so this was all. But so you basically you were playing for hurling for twenty odd years. Yeah, and and all of a sudden, then, you come into the mid-football job.
1: Yeah. Um, got a phone call when I was finished with the hurlers. I said, what am I going to do when i finished all of this? Well, last year, I was actually player manager. I wouldn't pick myself. And a um, simple thing happened. I was at a World Health Organization meeting. And it was a huge thing for us with the herbal clinic and so on to be asked. And, um, I came home uh, to go training. And there was some sort of an argument at a county board meeting on the Monday night at the hurdle board. And only seven lads turned up for training. And we had a really good team. And uh, it knocked me for six. And I'll tell you why. The way, Stephen, you get picked for your club, you get picked for your county. There's a route at a, at a meeting to do with the officers or whatever it is. Now, to think that someone of them would go and get on to the lads who are playing for the county to say, don't go in. To win a point or to score a point at a board meeting. Like if somebody could influence me like that, I just said, no, that's it. I'll finish off this and I'll have no more to do it because, and that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and I loved it and I loved the lads, but I just couldn't believe that they would allow somebody to get at them like that. Because at the end of the day, the one thing that I learned and the one thing I think that would would have been very good at is getting lads to take ownership, take responsibility for yourself, like you're the one that makes the decision to play like nobody else you don't to decide to go for the ball or not to go for the ball they could bait you with a stick but if you don't want to do it then if you feel like not doing it or if it becomes a chore or Lord Chase people say oh Chase all the demands on the lads nowadays fuck off you know what I mean like this like this is is, some lads play guitar some lads go on a bike uh, some lads drive racing cars we play hurling we play football and that was and that was that so a couple of months after i'd finished i got a phone call from liam craven his county secretary about uh, the me job and i thought he was talking about the hurling and then i realized he was talking about the football and i said liam you're joking you're not winding me up here no i said I'm very serious what are you going to do i said was liam, very direct <laughs> i said i have no clue i said um, who's nominated and he told me jerry McAdie, mick o'brien desi ferguson and uh, maddie kerrigan I said what, what's wrong with the lads for different reasons they can't do it I said right and I said who, you, who else have you got just you just you nominated oh I said let me think about it so um I got into the car and I drove up to Brian Smith's house he lived in Dunboyne, and he was going to a meeting in trim and he said look I'll give you a shout when I come back and I went up to aiman O'Farrells, who was from Drum Cree in Westmeath and um, Eamon had I lived in Dunboyne, and Amy and Betty, great friends, great hurling people, just a great family. And I said, you won't believe what I'm asked to do, and Eamon um, talked to me about it. So then at half twelve, I get the phone call from Brian, he's back from the beating, and he did the devil's advocate, because he knew the sort of lifestyle that I had, and he said, look, um, you know, all the reasons why not to do it. And of course, at two o'clock in the morning, I said, right, okay i have a goal for three months. And that was the start, and that was the preparation and everything else. Now, in saying that, I was fortunate enough, to, Mick O'Brien asked me, um, Mick trained me to win the National League in 1975, but they had been playing in um, a make-or-break National League match against Down in Dundalk, around the Geraldine's Club, and they were stuck for somebody to help out with injuries or whatever, and they asked me would I go. And I remember sitting at that with Colum Coyle and um, Liam Hayes, sitting, having a body teacher with them after us, realised, I said, lads, these lads have no idea what fitness is. I said, these are great players, but I said they can't sustain it. And I said, like, you know, if you can do it for five minutes, there's no reason why you can't do it for 10 minutes. And I said, it can be, maybe it's a, a mindset or whatever it is. Now, I said that to the lads, and little did I think that a few months later I would get a call um, when the lads were knocked out of the Championship, and, um, and that was the start of the journey and um, the interesting thing was very few lads at the time went to university so the boys were so physically strong for manual labour and I brought in a chap um, Gary Powers was, was a name he was a great acupuncturist but Gary was a, he was a great uh, Tai Chi man and Chi Kung and, um, but he was even smaller than I am and you couldn't put him off his feet and I brought him in so the first three months at the training, all we did was stretching because you had just, it was the use common Uriel, that's the boys just because, <laughs> you know, but like stretch don't strain, do you understand? And then when we'd finish, we'd go out on the, for a couple of laps around, around the pitch in Park Thalton. And one of the lads we trained with at that time was a chap called Philip Cassidy. And Philip was a, was a young cyclist from Clane. right? So when we go out on the pitch, he wouldn't be like the lads stretching the legs out Philip would be lifting the knees up around his ear so he, he went about a quarter of the pitch when the lads would be around the pitch do you understand <laughs> okay. but he had the last laugh because um, the following, following um, so early summer he was the Ross at 19 years of age It was great so uh, the, the football training helped him out but that was the start of that the second thing was um, went to a meeting um, there were seven selectors uh, went to a meeting with the lads uh, asked to meet the team and some of the big names um weren't there when we went to start went to start the meeting and um, as i started to talk they appeared and i heard one of them under his breath saying yeah who are these sonsos didn't know some of the lads who were there and um so i passed a marks and i just ended up saying look i said lads, i want to say something to you i don't care on a sunday um if you beat the lard out of each other all Championship Masters were played on the Sunday that time. I don't care if you do. I don't care if you're from Battle or you're from Bettystown. If you're from Oldcastle or Dunboy in the four corners of the county. I said, you can do what you like with each other on the Sunday. You come in to me on a Tuesday night. You're coming in as me, men, And that's it. And you said, you learn to shake hands. You learn to get on. With it, you learn to laugh at it. You learn to uh, compete with each other and so on. And that, they bought it into, the last bought it into from there and um,
0: and John would they have bought into that right from the start
1: right from the start and um, we were lucky the following Sunday down in Edwardstown um, or Atlancliffe we played um, an O'Reilly Cup tournament and Colm O'Rourke captained the team but his people were all from down in Leitrim do you understand and my mother was from Leitrim as well and there was a great crowd at it but it was a piece of silverware and um, then the whole thing was to try and get a settled team and um, at that stage, you had three or four league matches before Christmas, and, the, uh, either, and either three or four after Christmas as well. So there was a certain fitness in the lads. And um, the second thing then was, um, when the league was over, that's when the O'Byrne Cup was, not like now, where it's now played in sort of January and February. The reason I tell the story was, uh, the leagues were restructured, and we Mead have been down in division three and I always remember that earlier in that year when I wasn't involved, they played Clare down in in, in Clare, and uh, there were more seagulls than people at the match. That's no question of the world about it. And um, and the irony was, we had Mick Downs from Clare who was involved with Aaron Gabbra, or sorry, with uh, Aaron Zoid and so on. And um, Mick um, was playing for Navan man. He was a teacher there. You see, there was no travel. You couldn't, you know, that's you you played wherever you were. And um, so. Um, it ended up that Mick captained the team and we won the Fresh Cup in '83. We got to, we got promotion to division uh, from Division 2. We got, found ourselves in Division 2, but we, ourselves in Kildare got promotion. And um, that was a huge thing for the county. And I always remember uh, Joe cass has been interviewed and Joe's captain of that league team. And, um, oh, see, it's no point in win the league. <laughs> if, if you're beaten in the first round of the Leinster, <laughs> that was the way it was. But we qualified to beat our ma in national league semi-final and for us it was a huge crowd there was eight thousand seven hundred people in crow park an awful day but it was a great game joe kernan was playing he scored two amazing goals that day for for our man for sean Haggerty was managing the team this is the team that first played against kevin heaven's team in 77 you understand but they were, were there were a really really good team damien O'Hagan, all those lads and um oh we it was it was the start of we getting into Crow Park, really. Do you understand? And then, um, oh, we end up realising the way the pitches were in Mead and the way the Crow Park was. And that's how we ended up going across to Betty's Town and doing some work uh, on the beach. And the reason was, when you got this terrible heavy, the, the rain, because the sides were so deep in Meath, like Quagmire, you know what I mean? You'd want, you know jcb's to lift your knees out out of the soil but it meant that you had no pace your powerful strength but you had no pace as well You know what I mean? so that introduced we do some work on the dunes over there and um doing some work on the on the beach itself because your first round of the leinster was going to be played in crow park and at that time the way the stands were you got these tunnels of air so if you weren't used to it and you didn't hit it you're know, really with conviction the ball wasn't good it was going to be, just go away on you and there were the little things we did so the very first night um when we trained over in bettystown it was they were allowed we were allowed change to the golf club and uh, out onto the dunes and um i remember finney and called calling the lines that's me it's here it is, there's here, there's, here, there's here, the lines lived in summer hill which is 33 miles away from Betty Said what? There's the sea. Trying to tell the <laughs> lights where the sea was. So you can imagine how much how quick Finn you know, had to ru- had to run, right? But why tell the story? When it was all over, then I said, better cop on here, Sean. And I pulled the clothes off and I went straight into the water. He's fucking mad. He's definitely mad. Definitely mad. Now I can't swim. And I knew that they were going to throw me in anyhow. So if I me going in first they left me alone, right? But um but all that sort of stuff um, and the kicking learned to kick the ball so well off the top of the foot it just brought us on so much that when we eventually did get into Crow Park and the first round of the Leinster in 83 against Dublin we had a draw match and by right that replay should have been in um, Park Thalton and I spoke to the board and said listen would you mind I said I'd love to play it I said uh, "Played it in Crow Park because I said I think this team are going to have to get used to playing at Crow Park a lot, and the board went along with it. And uh, there was a bit of controversy at the time because Dublin coming to Navan would have brought a bit of trade, you see. So anyhow, the second day was a draw, and Dublin won an extra time, and they went on to win the All Ireland, the famous Dirty Dozen All right? But they ended up playing me in the first round of the National League in Navan, and we had a draw again, and um, it was it was just but it it started that sort of you were learning to compete and you were learning off the teams that were playing at the top that's really what it was the brilliant thing about that match in navan was was that um um brian was cha brian was chairman of the county board and normally if you're suspended and three of the lads ray hazley brian and and kieran were suspended but the suspended kevin heffernan as well as if kevin was playing do you know what i mean uh the, the powers that be Brian said to me the night before, he said, Sean, he said, I'll tell you now, I'm not putting the lads up in the stand. And I said, And you're right. So there was the guard of honour for Dumbledore's All Ireland champions, and Brian had four chairs for the lads to sit on that they weren't up at the stand, which was generous and was great. Until the following night, at the county board meeting, Martin Collins' father, Paddy, was up before the stewards for having encroaching on the field, you know, <laughs> shouting at the referee. And apparently he'd done it a few times and he ended up getting two months and he asked brian smith the chairman he said mr chairman he said could i say a few words and paddy thank god he's hailing hearty he said mr chairman i want to say something to you as a player nobody brought more credit to this association than you did as a player you were absolutely outstanding and the honor you bring the sam mcguire to me but as an administrator you leave an awful lot to be desired and it suits you better." If you start to run the affairs of the county board properly, rather than putting armchairs under Kevin Heffernan's arse, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. so, then you come along after '83, and you come to '84, and um, um, oh, the training was completely different that winter because you had done. You, you got them into the sort of the, the mold of stretching. Do you know what I mean? And uh, the big thing was that preparation. you know what I mean? And um, can I
0: yeah. ask you a question there now, Sean? You can. So you're talking about bringing different styles of training and stuff like that, and you're saying the lads bought into it. Yes. Did that? I suppose at that time it was just at that era where fitness was really becoming more and more paramount for, yes. especially among the top yeah. teams. Yeah. Did that change an awful lot from where you started to, let's say, when you when you did? Were finishing yeah. Up? It did.
1: Yeah. It did. Now the reason I'm telling you, and, and you can cut it out, but the reason <laughs> I'm telling you about the preparation, no, is that is is because, um. 82, you come in, you're these really strong men, hadn't got the agility, hadn't got that, you know what I mean, amazing power. Then that Sunday came in, they found themselves in Crow Park, um, the hunger hadn't been beaten that day, sort of in the uh, in the Leinster Championship match, uh, you know, and that, and then the league match, and again another good league and be beaten in the semi-final after replay by Galway. But in '84, you won the Centenary Cup, and that was the first open draw in the history of the game. So you were thinking different, right? Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of it, we were beaten in the Leicester final by Dublin again. And um, the knives were out. And, um, um, and probably rightly so. And um, uh, was there any game plan? No, there was no game plan, but there actually was. But it was said there wasn't. So I looked to have my own selectors. And eventually the board passed. Now, the men that were there were great men, but I just wanted to do it that bit different. And I remember Pat Reynolds and Tony Brennan, they were my two selectors, meeting them in Cluny. And Pat said, say, lad, say, so you want me to talk to the backs? First meet man to an all-star, you know, amazing player, buddy, right? Uh, Pat, and then, um, as, as Young Paddy became after us, and Tony was a great forward, and uh, Tony look after the forwards, I said, no, no. I said, uh, Tony, I want you to look after the backs, and tell them the sort of backs you hated playing on. And Paddy, Pat, I want you to tell what the forwards, the forwards you hate to play him. a clever cunt, isn't he? he said, right, that was but <laughs> it was it was but it again, it was a different ownership. Do you understand? So we started off any you know, of the first champ, the first National League match were beaten 11 points by Galway. Oh Lord, Jesus it was a disaster. Barely survived. Uh, only Jerry McAdee left his finger going sideways, um, putting Blondie John for playing for Tyrone, right? <laughs> John Lynch. Uh to prevent him from scoring like we ended up we stayed up in division one right and uh, but it came to the championship in in 85 and we're beating 10 points by leash in the semi-final and um that was what changed everything and why it changed everything was i was in the house i committed to the house i lived at home with my mother got me good to her and colin mary mick and park lines um, Liam hayes uh, Joe Castles and Jerry Mack were in the kitchen drinking tea, eating brown bread with my mother, jam. Couldn't see the lads with my mother smoking. And I arrived in, not knowing they were going to be there. And after a minute Mamma says, now you crowd, one up the house now and sort out whatever you have to sort out. And we went up and that was a huge night because um, we talked about where we come from and then um you mightn't believe it, but I actually would be of a shy disposition. And at the end of the night, Paul Lyons said to me, will you do me a favour? Will you put your shyness in your arse pocket? I said, are you serious about that? He said, I am. And that changed everything. And it changed everything in this way, that from then on, the chairs were around a circle. Um, very seldom we left without the windscreen being clear, but not what we were going to do. And uh, trashed it out. And um, that made an enormous difference. It meant that Stephen, if you wanted to say to me something that you didn't think we were doing right, you were at liberty to say that. All right. Likewise, if there was something I needed to say to you, I could say that as well without somebody taking umbrage or going home to tell mammy or daddy or boyfriend or girlfriend or anything like that. And there was none of that. So Sean, when that, you say
0: that the chairs were in a circle, do you mean like all the players, management, everyone sitting around? Correct. Everyone could say what they
1: wanted correct.
0: but it was a clean set afterwards.
1: That's right. Yeah. In other words, you had your game plan okay but that realization that um you could stand in front of a team you could tell them all the things you want them to do <clears throat> and hope that when things go right or things go wrong uh, particularly when they go wrong that they would be able to do that but suddenly when they had they were clearing their own mind um like even <laughs> I remember one time one the lads jerry got sent off one time in a match and um uh, Car, looked to be rocky with the both nodded the head I had the tell them just automatically knew where to go and that's a great thing and um, oh because they all knew far more about football than I did do you understand I would have known a lot about it um, But um, if the people know more well then that's the same with Pat and Tony and so on but the things that I could do that they couldn't do and uh, that was a huge change and that's that was the start that was the start, the following year, winning a Leinster. And it changed the course of meat football.
0: That's a big culture change that you're talking about there. Massive. Did that, did they buy in straight away? As in again, was it a case of, okay, let's go for it? Or did some people no, take it, a, bit, a bit longer to um, open
1: up? No, uh, it was It was amazing because um, the league was a good league for us. Okay, um, But we didn't win anything. But we kept finding younger players like, you know, Bernie Flynn, Bob O'Malley, uh, David Beggy came in in April, 86. David played rugby with Navin. He played a odd game with, with O'Malleys. But um, I always remember when we were playing a match in Walterstown against Cavan, and Jinxie arrives on the motorbike, and the shirt open, and Rocky says, you can't be serious. You're not bringing him in. And, um, you know, and, and then to think three months later he had the same amount of medals as Joe Castles. He he a medal as well. And Joe was there since 1973. But again, it was that, um, there were patterns that we had. Um, everybody was mad for tactics. I said, don't mind me saying this, until we have the basics right, if you really want to destroy yourself, that you won't survive. I said, get just caught up in tactics before you know how to survive. You're, you're putting it the wrong way around. You learnt how to survive. You learnt how... You learnt... So, I'd have to say this, that I was fortunate to be involved with the lads in seven All-Irlands and two replays. But for ten weeks before an All-Irlands, we never would have done a sprint. Everything we ever did was with the ball. All That that work was all done. I was smart enough to understand the people had with me that you can't store fitness This is something that you had to work on. But, um, the lads very suddenly they'd be into injured. They would have had their treatment or would get their treatments or would take you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now it was terribly difficult. Like the following year when made sort of won in all Ireland, seventeen percent of the population of Ireland were unemployed. And twenty three percent of the population of Meath. That's a huge number. But suddenly it you know, from having won the Leinster the previous year, nine points to seven, um, you're in a different you're in a different you're in a different league. And you learn patterns and like players like Brian Stafford, the way they evolved, the way they come on. There's another great lad, Stan Gibney. Stan, you know, Ollie, uh, look, Ollie Gogarty from Oldcastle. These lads all who never got there because of injury, but they really had. Big Ben Cullen, you know what I mean? They would have all made it, but again, injury. Now, when you think today, the work that can be done to rehab those, you know what I mean, and get them back right, even, you take our current manager andy McEntee. andy pulled a hamstring you know in the champ before the championship in in, in 1988 and uh, really bad hamstring and it really affected andrew for the for the rest of his playing career he never got back to just you know that little thing that special thing that you have it never came back like and yet he won you know three senior championships um you know had a great success a great career as a manager and so on but that little thing whereas today it probably would have had an operation on it do you know what I mean yeah and that's yeah. why I'm saying that but things had to change now I don't ever remember two years that we did the same training routine we did an awful lot of work on the hill on Tower Hill, but Tower Hill was more 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 reasons than one there's extraordinary energy in the place and we had a circuit that we would do and um, Particularly when your players remember a lot of them had they were older. Like um with well, the last one, the Leinster in in eighty six, Rocky was thirty. You know, his last match against Dublin, he was thirty eight uh, in nineteen ninety five. Um, but in the meantime, he had five Leinsters and he had two All Irelands in three Leagues. But the work that you had to do. So the problem, the problem wasn't all altogether just. It was it, it was more. It was more to find what was in yourself it wasn't to it wasn't to run you into the ground everything there was a there was a purpose in it and um but there was times you would do it and there's times you wouldn't go next night or near it do you understand and um but again it was it was hours and hours of working it out and thinking it out and then after sort of 87 88 89 and dublin better than Leicester. then i remember um you know saying look you know um, Jerry McCall got this right. He was trained in Dublin. He sussed us out. And um, they bet us. And they were beaten afterwards at the All-Around semi-final. And afterwards, Jerry was shafted from Dublin and so on. But he figured us out. And um, uh, he would Keith Barr, he had Tommy Carr, he had Damon Heary in the half-back line. right? And um, uh, he wouldn't let the lads go up the field at all, right? Because either the team could go up and score. But if they went up and scored, she did they want to score every time. They wouldn't be letting the ball up the lads at all. So he could he could he could away the space that we had, and it's amazing how you learn from somebody and what they've done. Like he's a he's a very smart man. You know he, he, he has figured this out. Anyhow, you know, uh, <coughs> we um, after um that year it was the first four quarter league. This is when the ball was uh, kicked out of the hand of the goalkeeper, and um, all we we're beating. Uh, 14 points, um, sorry, I beg your pardon, we've written 16 points by Russ Common in Kiltoon. And a fortnight later, Anton Betters, 12, up in, Bas- in Casement Park. Oh, Jason was the end of the earth. And um, one of the funny things about Kiltoon was Junior McManus was giving Martin O'Connor a time. And all the mead lads could say, the supporters say, Martin, take out your medals and show them to him, you know what I mean? <laughs> like we had something to cling on to. But like, it, didn't, it didn't break the spirit. It, it left them nearly more determined. right? And um, like people wouldn't realise from 87 to 88, there were three changes on the team. right? Um, there was something like six changes from 86 having happened your first Leinster. So it was evolving all the time. And then in 1990, that first four-quarter league, A freak result for us coming and Tyrone got us back in. There was a three-way playoff, three-way playoff, and we ended up and we won that league, right? And um, young fellow called Colin Brady, a man of the match in the in the final. And uh, Colin, after won one-lord, was '96, but he had his first operation on his knee when he was seven. And in '96, when he won his All Ireland, he came out of sub in five of the matches. He played the full match in '96. And three weeks later, he did the knee again and had to have a replacement joint. But like his persistence, the way he worked at it to get himself back, but that ownership was a vital thing. And why I'm telling that is because he got injured and he couldn't come into the train, he just couldn't fathom it, he couldn't take it. So the day the All Ireland final, we're driving down Cliniff Road, and there he's walking. I opened the bus door, come on, in you come, you should be here with us. right? And and he came with us. And the following year you know, he, he played, he came on in some of the matches in 1991 against Dublin but they're the things that you just, your mind is open and he should be with us, you know what I mean even though we are have the suits, at the blazers and everything else, he's still, he was still, he's still one of your own That, but for injury he would be there now, I'm saying that to you because um, after we were beating the All-Ireland Final by Cork, it looked like the end of the road and I spoke with Jack Finn, our team doctor and we met in Dalgan Park. And coming out of, it was a seminary. And um, walking down from the steps, in between where there were two pitches, right? Um, we're walking down there and saying to Jack, listen, Jack, I'll tell you what I want to do. And he was a great man. He said, Sean, you're right, we're in the 90s. And I rang and got in these boy C8s. And... Um, they cost three and a half thousand pounds for 27 of them, okay? They were like a suit. And we did our training in the water in Gormastown College. And um, oh, Jerry was working in the Mayo Clinic at the time, Jerry Mack. And I remember coming home and he rang me from the airport. No, still no mobiles. And he said, he trained tonight. I said, we are. Where are you? Gormastown. Will you pick me up? Now he's coming home to see his wife and kids, and he's working in the mayor clinic, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, this is important to me, though. So um he and Noel Keegan got me good to him from keypack, pack, our sponsor, right? Noel came down because these new machines that the lads were going. On. I hadn't told Jerry about the buoyancy aids. So when we arrived, I said, listen, we we'll were be doing a bit of work in the pool first. Right. She said, Right, right, okay. So the lads wore the buoyancy aids and we did the work in the in the in the pool. And on the way home we're driving out the gate of the college and Jerry said um, do you mind me asking he said how are you going to face the people you meet next June and you're beating the first round of Leicester. how would the training go we were fucking swimming <laughs> right okay <laughs> but the reason was there was a lady called Joan Benoit she won the Olympic Marathon in 88 in Los Angeles and six weeks beforehand she had an operation on her knee and I had heard about it and she did all the training in water until ten days before the, the marathon now every marathon runner you know it's at least 100 miles a week maybe 120 weeks is what they do but she did all the work in the water and um, I made the contact and that's what we did and so suddenly by three weeks before the first round of the Leinster that's when we started to do the work in the field and it took a lot to re-educate the legs but it was a risk we had to take and I remember talking to Colin O'Rourke and saying to Colin would you ever do something to make me pick you he said, did I ever let you down? I said, Column, I'm not going to let me down. I said, there's a lot of other lads there bursting the backside and they see you sauntering round. And I went up the far end to make lines, and I said the same to Mick. He said, Sean, was I ever found wanting?" I, I didn't say anything about that, Mick. I'm just telling you. And I explained it, but the other lads said, OK. And Brenny Riley gets the ball he's going through. The next minute, decked, he's decked, he's gone, he gets up. <laughs> Suddenly you realize we're back training for championship now again. And, um, that was the start of the series against dublin those four famous matches and we played 10 championship matches that year and um we had a draw with wicklow as well there was extra time in, in in four matches it was a huge season and um but again um only for that change of what we had to do but you had to have a confidence in the lads and they had to have confidence have a confidence in you you weren't they just weren't always thinking you were mad do you follow me
0: you think you had built that trust up though over the previous years when
1: you look back at it probably but at the time you wouldn't be thinking like that at all you're just thinking of, this is what we have to do and um, why I tell the story again is because 10 years later Galway are playing Kerry in All-Ireland semi uh, all replay in, in 2000 and Sonia Sullivan having won the silver medal at the Olympics she does a lap of honour uh, in, in between the minor and senior match right and because we'd won the All-Ireland the previous year some were in that Presidential box, right in the suite, and Sonia was there. And my wife Tina said to me, "Go over and say hello to her, you know." And um, oh, I said, "Leave her alone, Jesus Christ!" Said, She's inundated. Go over, say hello. So then I go over to Sonia. Oh my God, Sean! And she stands up and she puts her arms around me and she hugs me. She said, "It's been a long time ago since myself and Jerry O'Reilly from Dunboyne, next to right? They got the buoyancy aids from me from Glen Walter in Atlanta, Georgia." 10 years earlier is not mad isn't it Crazy. but it's funny how the other sports and everything else you know and um, would you say
0: at the time like you weren't afraid to go looking at other sports or see what you could learn from others no, would you say there would have been many coaches the same at the time or would you maybe have been a little bit ahead uh,
1: well all I knew is the awfully um, Dublin Kerry Cork they were the ones that you had to measure yourself against and they were at a different level. Like after 86, when we played, we bet Dublin that time in 1986. And we played Kerry. And everybody talks about sort of Joe Cassis and Mickey McQuillan, you know, and Mick Lines crashing into each other. And Jared Power tip of the ball across the goal line. We scored four points after that. All right. And just before we went in at half time, Colin O'Rourke, to this day, he can't lift his seed back up ever since his knee oper- operation all those years ago. And he fell. And um, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Doyle capped the Kerry. He was clipped, Tommy fell, and he was clipped on, on the eyebrow. And was, Roker was fierce upset about it. And what happened was we lost our concentration. So when we came out after halftime, Kerry gave us a, a legendary dance. Our concentration was gone. And there was another lesson that if you lost your concentration, the day was over before you got it back. And that no matter what happened, to be able to have that continuity of thought, that you weren't going to get distracted, that is so important and that is so vital. And like I've often heard, I remember Pat guy Paddy Field, and he won all over Tipperary years and years ago. He was a metalwood teacher in Claw Road, and he, he said to me, he said John, never lose your concentration. Never knew what he meant until that day, and um, it suddenly all comes back to you. So then you went on then, and um, that realization after the Kerry match. To beat Dublin the following year in the leinster it was all right to do it once but to beat them a second time you had to be seven points a better team and to win an all the semi-final you had to be 10 points a better team than you had been in 96 back in 1986 and they were all that was all part of the learning graph but again um i remember um you know the training that we were doing and at the time i loved the lads to play as many league matches as they could with their with their clubs so that's how they would have been getting their football. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. And um, it's also a competition because there's nobody who will bring you down to earth than the people at home. Like if you come in with a big head, walk into your own home, and you suddenly realise, hang on, you know what way the bike is oiled. You know what I mean? And, and that's and that's really it. And um, I never believed in having a very big panel. And the reason was because I always wanted lads to feel that they were going to be part, part of. They were going to be playing. Do you understand? And that's why the biggest panel we had was, was in 88. We had 28 on the panel. And that was because there was a replay in the National League, and there was a replay in Leinster, and, you know, and there was a replay against Cork. So you needed the extra players. But what we would do at the weekend in the matches we had, we would bring other lads, a half a dozen maybe, or a little more of lads from clubs within the county who would really feel that they should be there. Do you know what I mean? And um, want to show you up. So for that intensity that they would give it for that 20 minutes or as long as they would give it, that's when you learned what you needed to learn. Do you follow me? And that was, again, was part and parcel of, of, of the whole thing. And, um, but I remember one time we were doing an awful lot of training, and uh, it was Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. And one of the girls said to me, look, she said, she we never see the lads at all. And I thought about it, you know what, she's right. I said, right, okay, leave with me. So, I decided I'd give them two nights off, right? I gave them a Thursday and a Saturday and I'd see them on the Sunday. And that night, I went to Dublin and I met my lover at the time, Tina. And at that time, you could drive down uh, drive down Grafton Street into Suffolk Street, you know, round by O'Neill's Pub in the corner. And the car stopped in the corner. And next to me, hear, oh, the Lord, Jesus. There were Harnon, the two lines, Austin lines, the boys never told the women they all had to town, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh. like if you try to do it if you try to organize you couldn't do it but again it's something that was never talked about that was it You're know, uh, um, but again it was because there were the moments that it was like very early on because I never drank in my life and um, the very first league matches that we played back in 82 oh, was 82 83 league sorry uh, yeah 82 83 league Um the third one was in Navin and we were up in the beachmount right afterwards. And the realization um, that day was, because after the other two matches, lads would be saying, would you, would you not think of doing this or doing that? And I'd go and I'd organize it and i speak to the boys and say, remember that? what you asked me about? Yeah, yeah. Got that sort of grand, love you Sean, love you But I realized that night, the third night up in the beach mount, that there was a certain affinity with the lads that had them to drink that somebody who wasn't drinking wouldn't know. In other words, they could get things off their chest. Do you understand? And then they said to me, how did you learn how to go? Well, just said, so that was simple. Glass was put down on the pint. It had to be shifted a little bit, you know, from where the barman put it down. It had to be around the glass, and then I maintain. And as politely as you could, and as soon as you could after, I maintain. That was the time to go to the Jackson and go home because that's when the shite was gonna come out, right? And they were the things you learned. But it was also that understanding, that that, that thing, and you couldn't be all things, you couldn't, you couldn't possibly know everything. The people who were with me, Mocky Regan, you know, Mick McGall, the Owen Lynch, Scopes White, <clears throat> all of those lads, and Burton, physio, um, that the lads could confide in them as well, that it wasn't gonna be carried back to Shawnee, do you know what I mean? And that was fierce and important. And the role of Pat and Tony because of their reputation, like, um, that was a huge role. You know, and then afterwards came Frank Foley and Emily O'Brien and Coyler and Jinxie and so on. But again, it was that the way things changed. And then you move on and then... Um,
0: that was nearly like another sort of the... Uh, you mentioned the circle for discussion or something. that was, was really yeah. Outside it. Yeah.
1: Um, remember another time... Um, um, when sort of the GPS scheme was introduced, you know, the scheme was like a GPS thing, and uh, got two lads from the university in Ottawa. One was a chap called Carl Peterson, and he was Australian. And we took them off for a year. And uh, players whose career ended afterwards with an injury never had an injury with me because of the information that they got from that. And again, it was a, sm- it's a big thing for your board to do which you. Do you know what I mean? To have that sort of trust in you, whatever it was. And then another time I remember um, um, there were 14 lads injured um, and it's three weeks before the first round of Leinster and 12 of them were badly injured right and um, the board had no money at the time and um, I rang John Horgan from Keypack and he'd come back from Brazil And he met me in Benny McDonald's Pub in Cluny. And before Benny had the toaster sandwiches ready, he said, we'll cover that for you. And we went to a place called Marianski in Poland. And uh, Bad, they call it. And this is where Stata Prague go. And this extraordinary place, right, Um, they have all modern treatments, but they have about 37 different old remedies and treatments from hot turf, to spas and so on, an amazing place. In two days, twelve of the fourteen are on the field, right? Well, wow. now the trip costs a fortune per se, but again, one of the biggest problems that you'd have with lads uh, would be when they get injured. It's after work or trying to get off work to go for treatments and everything else, and um oh, that drains. It takes so much out of you. And um, but the fact that these treatments were on site and like. I always remember old Clark was Dr. Williams at that time. He was amazed at the place. Trevor was amazed at the place. Like, these are things you'd never see before. But this was originally, of course, behind the Iron Curtain. Right. But now we weren't getting steroids. We weren't getting injections <laughs> or anything like that. you know what I mean? And um, But it was, again, it, anything that would get you to where you needed to go to. And they were the things that you had to do. And um, they may seem mental. I remember in 1990, another t- um, uh, bit tired the lads spoke to the lads in Bullock Harbour right and got the, the, the sea boats the rowing boats they're massive yokes. and we brought them down to the canal right beside where the lions live so the lads come to training and we put them in the rowing boats and Bobby O'Malley's getting in and Bobby you know the old saying the near the church the further from God but Bobby's born beside the sea and he hates swimming right so Bobby gets in, of course, the lads get inside start rocking the boat and so on. But sure, the water was only up to your chest anyhow, in the canal. But the, they were so, like that. It was, it was also the team, the coordination, because if you didn't, you'd be into the banks and so on, and the wide oars from the sea and real heavy stuff. And they said, this is a load of nonsense, you know what I mean? But what they hadn't realized was, across the road, there was this Egyptian man, and it was the third year of this seven furlong, uh, all weather. Uh, track you have with the horses right and it was like being third year it was a lot springy so we did the running out there as well and at one stage the lads are in the boats and suddenly there's a helicopter coming across and some of the smart guys Liam Smith or someone says lads you better get around there's the paparazzi there's the papers there's the papers and they all ducking down in the boat in case somebody seeing seen nothing to do with us at all but again there were the different things that you did that that helped you another time I remember um, we went up to um, the embankment in Talla, which has gone now. But it was to do the course that the Tour de France had done. The replay in 1988 was the 13th of October, the All-Ireland Final Replay, because the previous week there was a round of the Tour de France in Ireland. And uh, there weren't enough cameras to cover it and to cover Crow Park. So the day actually before Joe Castle's 34th birthday, he lifts the Sam McGuire, right? and um, but again you might say would you have done much of that well after about four miles every one of our fellows said this tour de france stuff, this is dead easy but put another four onto it and another 16 on top of that suddenly the circuit had to be cut short right but again it's more again having the people with you and having learned to do the different exercises that you did so that you wouldn't get bound up by it and so on but it mentally, it gave you a huge lift. And I suppose, no matter how much coaching or training you do, if you're, if you're mentally fatigued, it's really difficult. Yeah, cause That's and
0: that, interesting, because I was going to ask you, so you obviously had the success in the late 80s with the all ireland and then more towards the late 90s again. And mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, did you reinvent everything totally? But it sounds like it was more of a gradual approach that you maybe change something each year. Uh, yeah but even
1: the game you see changed like the, the teams in 96, 96 you know last <clears throat> final sort of uh, 97 98 uh, 99 2001 so different because in the early days all the sideline balls were off the ground all the frees were off the ground so as a result you know forwards couldn't get as much space and um, so when that changed it suddenly you had to learn to cope with the ball sort of quick ball off the hand and so on and they did and everybody would talk about the big strong physically i remember brian cody in boston in um, uh october 1999 and he was managing the, all- the all-star hurlers and he's saying sean what's what that's talking about he looked at mark o'reilly trevor giles richie keady donald curtis paddy rents like ollie murphy these were not big men but the perception was this big, strong, physical me team. But he said, what are people talking about? I said, all I can tell you, Brian, is um, they'll go back from nothing. You know what I mean? That's, that's the way they are. So size sizes within yourself, you know, and, and, and how you cope with that. And, but the game they played was so quick. It was very different than the, than the early days. The early days, you had to be awful precise, you know what I mean, in the way you get it in so that there was an accuracy and then you know one of the things that you would probably see with the game today if you're a forward you think they're not trusting me to give me up the ball do you understand where they're trying to work it into a better position maybe for for a forward to score but in that time you nearly had to be able to win your own ball and but there was a trust that you would and like so the rule was any decent back he'd win seven out of ten balls right now um, now if he makes a mistake he's off the forward can make several you know what I mean and they'll be, they'll be left on but they're the things that you learn all the time and the, the way it changes but and yet it's the same competition it's getting scores Um. Uh, I hated negativity in games just hated it. I just I loved I loved the risk and I still do and I love that risk I love fellas having a cut at it and and um, uh, you can be cautious and awful cautious, but it's not rugby. It's not soccer. You know what I mean? Um, uh, it's and even in hurling, it's the same. Like, um, it's the ball travels so fast. The pitch is so long. You know, it's compared to the other sports. It's so wide compared to the other sports. And uh, with either of those games, you can be attacked from anywhere. You know, from front, from back, from side. Whereas there's different rules, like offside I remember one time being with Kevin Heffernan at a match in um, Ireland. We playing Spain. We are in Lansdowne Road. And I remember Declan Brennan, he was secretary, vice secretary, Assistant Secretary assistant the Department of Education. So couldn't believe he, seeing hi, he and I together. I met Billy Morgan and his son Brian at the match as well. But I always remember Kevin saying, you know, Sean, he said, hey, if they took the, the offside out of soccer, it would be a great game, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. In other words, a few lads in around the square, you know what I mean? And that's, right. but again, it's, it's what, like, and again, you know, playing some, the big, the, one of the great changes I would have found with the squad 95, 96, when we were beating 10 points for Dublin, was that I had brought in some lads from the me team that had been beaten in the 93 All-Ireland Minor final, and there were six of them, and, um, the way they played in the final that were that were beaten in was enough for me, so I brought them in, uh, brought them in early, and um, so they were in for that ninety-five hammering. And um, after the ninety-five defeat, some of the older players spoke to me and said, "Look, maybe it's time for you to go. Um, you've given an awful lot to sport. You're held in very high regard." and so on and um i said you're absolutely right but i said i have a problem they said what's the problem i said listen we go and talk to the lads and come back to me an hour and a half later they said you can't go they said why i said why the young lads think they'll win all Ireland with you and the following year they won the all-ireland but again it was a combination of you know i remember kevin huron in 88 introduces circuits right uh in garmanstown we had circuits, but we also had five basketball courts. And um, we played every so every night. There was basketball as well. So it was, it was like the head up. Rules were slightly changed, you know what I mean, to suit the game that you were going to play. But there were all the things that you did so that um, you were ready. You know, come league, come championship, whatever. Even though you didn't do well in the league and barely survived, you knew you were ready for championship and the rest was history and again it's that thing of ownership and so on now the thing I learned from that famous night in 1985 was I can't play the game for them and they've got to play it whatever you have to do to get the environment right to create the condition that they can achieve achieve excellence in that sport then that's what you do if it doesn't work out it doesn't mean you're a bad coach um, it hasn't worked out uh, yeah. so, on,
0: so on that now right so you've mentioned that you love the risk you love yeah. the long ball you yeah. love the attacking football you mentioned earlier that you you weren't massively into tactics particularly in the early days Yeah, yeah. so how did you create that environment to allow that sort of free flowing attacking football
1: um, I never would have had a traded session for longer than the length of time of a match so that was getting that right so that when it started um, when it actually started there was no waste time, right? And um, uh, and always then and ever in the drills that you did. They were so related to what the match was like. And that was that went on. And I won't say they were boring, but they were very intense. And um, yet there was a great satisfaction at the end of the night or at the end of the day, but it was during the day. You know, you came off feeling, you know, you were be- I'm better now than when I came in first. you know what I mean? And the tiredness that was there, they learned to cope with that, like the wind, like the rain, you know, being ready for, for whatever's thrown at you. And um, that, that ability to, no matter no matter what way things go, to always believe that you have time, even if you're getting hammered. You know what I mean? You have always time. Like in '95, you take us against Dublin. With 12 minutes to go, we're leading by two points. The bet is ten. The bet is ten, but two weeks earlier we played it. We had played Tyrone in Nervesstown. In we played Donegal up in Donegal, and knew that knew coming home, that the edge was gone from us, and that was tough, because these were some of the greatest players that I'd ever played, and um, um, and it happened with some of the Dublin lads in '96. Uh, it, it, it took them so hard to win in All Ireland and so long, like after the 91, sort of what happened in 92, 93, 94, and not, you know, great team, just it just didn't work out, you know what I mean? Um, So, um, you know, I remember Eugene McGee after after um, uh, we bet Donegal in 1990, God be good to him, saying, oh, I'll be 10 years before a team from the North win in All Ireland. Ninety one down, ninety two down to God, ninety three dairy, ninety four down, and it's how it can change, but that's it's a whole series of things. Now, um, in saying that, um, we were very fortunate in where we where we had our food afterwards, and um, the meals were just amazing because. Like in the early days, you know, and it was no different than Dublin. It was no different than Mayo or Cork or Galway, or anything else. Got a cup of tea and a mario biscuit. But like, people don't realise like that. When we won the All-Ireland in 1949, A, you had 14 selectors. Right? 14 selectors. There's no way of getting around, you see. You had to, somebody had to uh, watch a match and let them know. Um, B, the first time the team met to train together was when they qualified for the all-ireland and that's when they went into the camp down in Me, you know body and that's when you know that was the first time they came collectively to train there never was any training like that and people wouldn't realize that but that's the way it was so it has cha- it changed so much you know and um oh i remember ned ned quinn you know famous kenny administrator and um probably was responsible for introducing enormous change to Kilkenny. his sister lives in avon and um, he often go to our training sessions and he go home and said we're wasting our time because um there was nobody who was spared you, you had to train the way you were going to play and um so there was no there was no like pretense and and um you know and the friendships that were built up after i remember sort of." Um, Bernie, when he got frustrated, he hit Mick a box, yo, Mick Lyons. And afterwards, Mick was over to put his hand out, Bernie, you're welcome on board, put his arm around, you know what I mean? And like, it was, and suddenly Bernie realised because Bernie then started to think he was seven foot tall, you know what I mean? Because he was a smallish man. But again, that's the way, that's the way it had to be. Now, I was fortunate in that, and awful lucky in lots of the players who came along. Um, And you might say, uh, would you not have had a big influence yeah I would have had a big influence but I didn't win it you know they're the ones who won it and they're the ones as I say from the start they're the ones that they made those decisions you know that uh, what, what needed to be done and everything else and um, uh, sometimes like even even going back to sort of 96 against Mayo you know the, the match against Toronto in the semi-final that was an. Ext- if you ever you see the second half of that match, it was probably one of the greatest displays of football you've ever seen, and that's what got us to the final. But to be able to replicate that in an All Ireland final, and um, because six of them were so young, and uh, blessed twice against Mayo, leading six points with only a few minutes to go on both occasions, and it was that it was football that got us back. You know what I mean? And um, that belief, you know what Trevor Giles did, what Tommy Dowd, what Brendy Riley, what John McDermott did. But like, that faith that Ollie was going to put them ball in the back of the net or whatever it was. But like, that, that comes from, that just doesn't come, that, that comes from practice and things like that all the time. That survival thing. And that's why the drills that you did had to be so, so close to what the game is actually going to be. Like, um, the cones are brilliant and they're a great help. You understand but like and it's great having all the people in the world with you help you with lads but like the week of the match honest to god almighty you know that work has to it has to have been done do you follow me it's um you know if if you're not clearing your head on the tuesday or thursday night you're not going to be clearing your head on the sunday you may tweak things you may change things like years ago, and it's no different than looking last Sunday at the All-Ireland Hurling, how early the lads are on the pitch. I remember when we qualified in 1987. It's 20 years since me had been in an All-Ireland final and I rang Kevin Heffron, And Kevin said, come out. And I sat down with himself and Mary. had a cup of tea. I said, listen, I want to talk about the lead-up to this All-Ireland and All-Ireland Day. I don't want to talk about Cork. And um, um, the things you learned about um, oh, how, at that time, the stewards changed in Crow Park for All Ireland Day. Um, how the the pageantry, you know, the realization that you were called on the pitch either 20 or 22 minutes before the match would start. And you either had seven or nine minutes, that's all, to do your preparation. The rest was all pageant. Um, the realization that there's no point in the dressing room the day and I learned before the match, breaking a bottle or whatever it is you know, to get attention. Because when you go out and you have all these distractions, that thing of being ready, that mentally being ready was and is, is so important. I remember with the lads in 96, there was something eating, at me. I didn't know what was wrong. Couldn't figure it out in my own head. There's something I'm not thinking of. There's something I'm not thinking of. And it dawned on me, I remember the train on the Tuesday night calling Tommy Downs and Tommy's captain I said Tommy there's something I want you to do and I'm going to talk to the lads about it when it comes to the parade I said and you're meeting the president and um, Mary Robinson was president she was from Mayo um, I said I want you to do something for me because I said there are 31 counties who want us to be beaten so you're going to be introduced first but then when it comes to mayo because she's from mayo the place is going to go mad and if you're not ready that noise will just it'll be like you'll you'll just lose everything you'll just get lost and um i just said to him listen um you make sure tommy you meet the president you're tommy dowden you're from dunderry and i said connor martin you know Connor's." tell Conlon's kind of the same then, you know, he's from Beliver, even though his mother's from Mayo, he wants to bring an all Iron back to back to Beliver. And Darren Faves from Trim, even though his father and his uncle all played for me, and great players, Mickey and Jimmy. Um, You know, you're 19, but you want you to bring all iron back to Trim. And Martin O'Connell has said, Martin, you're not just me you're Carlinstown, Little Village, that's where you're from. Doesn't matter about Mick Higgins, your, your uncle, have captain the Kerry team, you know, to, or the cabin team to be carried in the polo grounds. I said, you're Martin, you're from Carlinstown. So that happened on the day with the first four lads. And then Coyle was introduced to the president and Mary Robinson would she shake hands and she'd bow the head like a little, like sort of a Japanese style. Coyle wouldn't let the hand go. And he holds the hand and she looks up at him. And he says, Coyler says, how are things at home? And that broke the tension for us, so it didn't matter damn what happened afterwards. But like that, so you were. But how easy something like the noise, and I've heard so many people when they go out, you get say for instance Leash this year, right? Like if they weren't ready, how how you can get? And that's why Dublin are so used to this. They're used to the crowds. Do you follow me? Lots of other counties are not used to that, and you have to be used to that. But it can be in Trim or it can be in Kildare or wherever it is. You know, I was at a match last night and there was a girl got sent off. And, um, you know, some of the abuse that that girl was taking because she's a big girl was appalling. Now, on the day of a big match, you won't hear that, but you won't hear instructions either. So you have to be sure. And like, I see a lot of lads, you know, there's the official going in and out now with the switches. I also see officials causing confusion and that's where you have to have that confidence, they'll turn it around, they'll turn it around. You know, you've you got to trust them, you know what I mean? And I would have seen that so often. And um, uh, all I can tell you is it worked out more right than not right, you know what I mean? And that's, that's it.
0: And I think that's important though, that yeah, the, is, the players yeah. knowing that you have that bit of trust. Oh yeah,
1: um, not to be looking over you if you make a mistake. Should chase, nobody knows more than yourself. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I would be, I'd be a tyrant when it came to training, when it came to uh, match, I'd be the coolest man in the place. Like, you know? yeah, I'm
0: very conscious of the time here, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. We have three questions that we ask everyone okay. at the end of the podcast. So,
1: first one, uh, what does the term successful coach mean to you? Um, somebody who has helped somebody reach the holy grail, let that be. In under twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, understanding at the young at the younger age, that if you don't if you don't win, it doesn't matter. But being successful is doing it and doing it right, and um, being able to hold your head high, coming back out from that. Because any more than that, you can't do. If you have them ready, and uh, something goes wrong, then don't blame them okay
0: okay that's good second Uh, what is the best book resource person
1: that you'd recommend to any
0: coaches listening
1: wow oh boy this sounds mad it's written by a man called Paul Brandon Philip Yancey it's called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made it's the comparison between the human body and the body of Christ and it gave me an understanding of one of these men, he was a great, he was a great surgeon and he worked with lepers and um, so they had no sensitivity. And um, he would talk about the skin and the way it pales, the way it blushes, the way it sweats, so on and so forth. But that understanding of that movement, do you understand? And that power that helps that to happen. And that became my Bible, honest to God Almighty. I'd, I learned more than that, you know, that like it's, it's um, um you take your same bolt for instance, right? Um, you know, until he finished racing, he still had the spuds, excuse me. And the way they were cooked were they were put into an earthenware jar and they were roasted that way and the skin was all blackened and the fibre was the purest fibre and he was the fastest man in the world, right? But that's what worked for him. And you'd also see him when he take off the, off the shirt all these cup marks on him and that cupping was an old Irish tradition and it was used particularly with people with sternal problems or with say collapsed lung or whatever when they had TB and how if the body is not right if the mind is not right um, oh and that just you can't, that you can't do it before the time like it's sport has to be so instinctive Nearly on the day, if you have to think about it, do you understand? You're nearly too late because it's so, it's so, it's, 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 it's like in the like, it's like the speed of light. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I know it sounds mad, but yo, know, it's that's that's the one that was the one for me, okay, uh, more than anything else. Okay, last
0: question Uh, what are your top tips for a developing coach that might be listening today?
1: Um the first thing you have to do is um, acknowledge that um, if you're a coach understand that being a coach is um, passing on a knowledge if you haven't got that knowledge don't be afraid to get somebody in who has got that Um, it's like Tony Diamond with Vincent Tony Diamond could write a thesis on defense coaches do you understand like um, get help from wherever you can don't feel threatened by it and lots of people do feel threatened about it now I'd have to say the week of a match I never like players coming in or strangers being brought in to talk to players I never like that because that's too late that has to be with the coach with the manager with the selectors it just has to be so clear, like your dietitian, your psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever, like this just has to be about the match so that there is no distraction. And that thing, if you can get the coach with that continuity of thought just on the job at hand, like if you bring your ego into it, forget about it. You'll get knocked down a thousand times. There's nothing wrong in having satisfaction after something works out and there's nothing wrong like one day we played Kilkenny and the bet is 33 points nothing wrong in the world and the next day being able to say to yourself, better go out and start putting this right you know and that's um and that's you have to be a fierce humble manager coach because um um players they make and break you but they don't really break you uh, if it doesn't work out it doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're a bad man you're not a good man. Um, you've done your best, and that's it.
0: I think that's a really good note to finish. Thank you, Sean. I, you've been brilliant with your time. I really appreciate it. I think there's loads of learning for anyone listening. Uh, I think you've been very modest about uh, your success over the years. I think you were very innovative, innovative, and um, maybe before your time. And the big ones for me, I suppose, for any coaches listening, uh, you mentioned several times that uh, as close to a game as possible in your training and what really striking for me is that you spoke more about the defeats and the learnings that you got from those defeats than you did about the wins and I yeah. think that that's a really good message for any coach listening so Sean thanks a million
1: Steve pleasure thanks very much today. thank you
0: thanks for listening to the coaching bubble and I hope you learned something to help you with your own coaching please follow us on Twitter at Coaching, where we'll put any books or resources mentioned on the show up on the page you can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify and SoundCloud and feel free to get in touch with any feedback. We'd love to hear from you. As always, the show is produced by Niall Williams and the Coach Education Centre of the Camogie Association. Thanks for listening.